Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Byers, and today I'm going to talk about complaining, something that is very natural to us and something that we can often feel so entitled to, um, but it's the thing that got the children of Israel into trouble, and so we would, um, it would be good if we would pay attention to it. So all those years in the wilderness, they were demanding more and more of God. They grumbled, they murmured, they complained about the food, the water, um, where they were going, when they were going to get there. And basically they found fault with Moses and with Moses God and their God for uh, his divine plan. So in we, we see them beginning this complaint in Exodus when they were thirsty and the waters were bitter and so on. And then God began to discipline them, but we see them continuing to complain throughout the book of Numbers and their consequences just grew and they never seemed to learn from it. You know, their journey out of bondage and into freedom could have been so different and I believe so much shorter than the 40 years um, if they hadn't needed that discipline, if they had chosen to have hearts of trust and praise. But their fault finding really expressed their fear and their rebellion and their unbelief. You know, God didn't act like they thought he should, the way he should, in the time they thought he should, and um, he didn't support their plans, their way, and their history didn't go like they, they thought it should. But God isn't going to be reduced to a projection of our wisdom, our ways, and our demands. He, he won't be reduced. He can only be God. And he is not going to bend to our demands and our entitlement. And when we act that way, we really only delay the good things he does want to bring. So we really need to be aware of our complaints, how often the frequency of our complaints, the intensity of our murmurings, uh, because God has called us to a very vibrant, very robust faith and um, to be so confident in him, but we still have to choose it. We have to choose the life that he's offering to us. And when we complain, we kill that vibrancy. We really, uh, in so many ways, dilute or kill our faith and joy and hinder our own emotional and spiritual mat maturity. And we just, you know, we complain about all sorts of things. Oh, I wish this or I wish that. Or maybe we just sigh or pout, uh, but we're still complaining. You know, I can't get out of the house. My kids are sick. I don't have any money. I have to pay a dental bill. I can't buy things I want. I can't get my spouse to listen to me and so on. And we, so often it's so such a habit that we don't even realize what's coming out of our mouth and because we aren't guarding our hearts. So it can be small things, small entitlements where we just, you know, I'm inconvenienced and it ought not to be this way. Yesterday I was driving and someone pulled out in front of me real slow and my automatic response was a complaint. And I thought, no, no, I, I really have a choice here. I don't need to be doing this.
I was probably aware because I was preparing for this podcast. But And then, of course, there are much larger sufferings, too, that we complain about. But what comes out of our mouth really does create life or death. Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it, love life, will eat its fruit. And so there is a reward when we are careful about um, how we're directing our words and what we're releasing. And you know, scripture also says it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So what we're really doing is showing ourselves and others and the Lord and the enemy what's really in our heart when we release the negative. We, we just, we have so much power over what we say and in what we say, and there's so much reward when we speak life. So we need to we need to repent of our complaining. We also need to uncover what's at the heart of our complaints. They're often deeply rooted in lies and messages that have gotten internalized. And some of these might be, I need justice, but I'll never have it. My needs won't be met. I'll always have to suffer disappointment. No one will really be there for me. I'll never be able to get this right. I don't know how to do things. That's an expression of powerlessness and unworthiness. If I don't complain, I won't be heard. Mm, so I'll just drop hints or yell or pout or sigh. And we can stay in that lane so long that we, be, that we believe that I won't be heard. Uh, this is just how life is. Nothing's going to change, even though I've tried. So now we're, cut up, we're caught up in the lie of powerlessness. I'll never get what I need from others unless I work at it or manipulate them or seduce them into relationship with me somehow. And I'm not even talking about sexual seduction. There are other kinds of seductions. Some people, you know, are often just really helpful. So helpful. They're always gonna do things for others. They're always gonna sacrifice for others. Uh, but it can seduce the others into a relationship with them because the seducer is trying to get their way and they don't know how to do it in a healthy way. And so on some level, they feel like they're controlling the person that they're seducing into a relationship. Helplessness can also be a manipulation. Mm. So these sorts of things, these ways of being, these misbeliefs we have often begin in childhood where we've been treated certain ways and we just pick up those beliefs or we've watched our parents. And God's intent is to heal the pain of our past. Once we recognize it, it's to heal that. But also for us to take responsibility and renew our mind in the truth. And our words will reflect what's on our mind. We always have the choice to either renew our mind or fall back into these bitter complaints and uh, I said bitter complaints because complaints, even though mild, sometimes do carry a bitter edge. So for every complaint, there's an underlying real need that we're trying to express, but we're usually doing it very poorly. Um, and you know, not only do others hear us, but the, but the enemy hears us and he will take our words and use them against us to discourage us and hinder us in more ways than we are often aware of. So we can attach our problems, small or large, uh, to complaints, or we can attach them to the great and wonderful 
the vast promises of God. When we attach our uh, needs and our problems to, to God's promises with real conviction and real confidence, then we then he's going to give us an ability, a grace to step forward in new ways for those things. And I, I am not talking about a forced positivity. A forced positivity can, you know, putting on a happy face can be very toxic, uh, very poisonous. It's what I call positivity. <laughs> Just coined that. But it's pretense masquerading as faith or as joy. No, what I'm talking about is a deliberate choice uh, to not complain, but instead to choose the Lord, to rejoice in Him, to rest in Him, to refer everything we need to Him, to wait on Him, even when it's difficult. And then when we wait, we begin to get His perspective in a new way. And while we're waiting, we keep refusing the old habit of complaining and murmuring. And we really do need to see that as a habit of character. It's a habit. Um, and and uh, it produces these attitudes, but any habit by grace and our collaboration can be changed. And as we change that, we recognize that what we're asking for is the very character and goodness of Christ in us. He's for us. He's with us. And he is really willing to help us with, uh, with the sin. I'm going to call it the sin. It is of complaining. So Proverbs 4.23, you'll be familiar with this, tells us to guard our heart with all diligence. Guard our heart above everything else because it determines and sets the course of our lives. And part of guarding our heart is guarding our tongue from expressing negative things. It's really a form of death. Proverbs 18.7 says, A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare to his soul. So if we want to grow and mature in the Lord, we're, we're going to have to take responsibility for our tongues. And you know, the tongue can be used in darkness. Uh, Psalms describes it in various ways. Here's a few ways. Deceitful, cruel words like deadly arrows, plotting destruction like sharpened razors, spears and swords, making arrogant claims, lying, poisonous like vipers. But Psalms also describes how his praise is to be on our tongue, telling of his righteousness, speaking his word with laughter and joy. Proverbs says that out of our mouth can come healing, silver, wisdom, truth that endures forever, and gentleness that has a strong effect with faithful instruction. Then we go in the New Testament and James 3 says our tongue uh, can set the whole course of our life on fire and deposit poison because it's really hard to tame. Only the Holy Spirit can tame our tongue. Peter exhorts us, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. And we do, we desire good days, don't we? We want to have full and fruitful lives, so we're going to have to notice where we're complaining. Notice the dialogue we're having internally and what we're giving our agreement to. Um, it may seem so true, but it's not necessarily true. So our agreement with the false and the carnal has to stop because we're really responsible for what comes out of our mouth. Um, 
So one of the things that we ask the Lord is to uncover any hidden messages that's promoting our complaints. What are the root messages <coughs> underneath that complaint? So C.S. Lewis wrote an interesting little book called Till We Have Faces. Till We Have Faces. It's a mythology. It's a mythology about Cupid and Psyche. I'm not crazy about mythology myself, but this little book is just brilliant. The main character is Uriel. I'm not sure I pronounced that right. Oriol, uh, and she is embittered. She's the ugly over older sister of Psyche, and Psyche is just beautiful. So Oriol spends most of her time with her face veiled because she's so ugly. And she uses the manipulative, manipulative threat of suicide to get Psyche to do what she wants her to do. And it causes them both great loss. So at the end, she's challenged to write out her story. And she calls it, interestingly enough, her complaint. So she wrote this large tome about all of her complaints, how she, you know, such a noble martyr. And then she brings this book to the gods and the judge tells her to read it. But as she starts reading it, she notices, this isn't, this isn't what I wrote. So I'm quoting, Read your complaint, says the judge. I looked at the roll in my hand and saw at once it was not the book I'd written. It couldn't be. It was far too small and old. A shabby little crumple thing. Nothing like my great book that I had worked on all day, day after day while I was dying. I thought I would fling it down and trample on it. I'd tell them someone had stolen my complaint and slipped this thing into my hand instead. Yet I found myself unrolling it. So she starts reading this tiny grubby book and finally the judge yells, enough. Uh, she's been reading the same complaint over and over. It's not the book she wrote about what a noble martyr she was, what a true victim queen she was, who never received all the love back that she'd given out. Um, nope. This little volume doesn't disguise it and doesn't dress it up. She simply laid down what's really on her heart. I'm quoting again. When the time comes to you in which you will be forced to at last utter the speech, which is laying at the center of your soul. This is what needs to be uncovered. What's really in our soul. Which you have all that time, idiot-like, been saying over and over again. You'll not talk about the joy of words. I saw well why the gods do not speak to us openly nor let us answer. Until that word can be dug out of us, why should they hear the babble that we think we mean? How can they make, meet us face to face till we have faces? That's the title of the book. Until we're real about who we are and what we really believe. So she lays her complaint down and begins to see her life from the perspective of who she really is, how she's how she has badly used others. She sees how needy and controlling she's been, how manipulative her love has been. And so now she's willing to come face to face with this. And she says, um, the God of the mountain was coming down and he was coming, the most dreadful, the most beautiful, the only dread and beauty there is was coming. Of course, this is a picture of the Lord. 
she had ended her first book with the words, no answer. And you know, we really are hopeless and don't have an answer, but it's up to us. She says, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Before your face, questions die away. She came face to face with that beautiful, true God, and she owned her sin. She saw her heart. So we need to identify the root of our complaints. Whatever God wants to reveal, we need to be open. We need to ask him because until we do that, we're going to stay behind our defense, whatever our defenses are. And one of them is complaining. Complaining is a defense. And so here's where we uh, win the battle. I want to finish with these four things. One, we recognize our inner chatter and our outward vocalization of it. We ask the Lord to help us recognize it. Two, we work at changing the old habit of agreeing with complaints and murmurs. And you know, we not only enlist the help of the Holy Spirit, we can enlist the help of others. Others notice. Three, we keep setting our mind on what is good and what is true, what is honorable. Keep renewing our mind. And four, we keep speaking out our agreement with the truth as we sprinkle it with gratefulness. Gratefulness is a wonderful antidote to complaint. So thank you for listening. And it's kind of a companion to this. Next time I'm going to be picking up something I call the power of agreement. And I hope you'll listen then.